So you're a podcast listener. That's awesome. Did you know that you can enjoy an even better listening experience with the new Pocket Casts app? With powerful search and discovery tools, they've made it easier than ever before to find your next favourite podcast. It was even recognised by Wired Magazine as the podcast app every iPhone user needs. Pocket Casts is a beautifully designed and easy to use app that offers amazing features like play without subscribing and advanced episode search. It helps you quickly discover and enjoy your favourite podcast with more than half a million shows to choose from. Change can be hard, but sometimes it's worth it. Download Pocket Casts today from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store or on the web at pocketcasts.com. Listen to Game Time. This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. If you're an MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. Hello, <laughs> Two-time <laughs> Invincible. Yeah, yeah, toy. Dan Gosling. <laughs> John Joe Shelby. Oh, what a man. (laughs) Oh, what a man. What a man. Welcome to the Game Time Podcast. Uh, I'm Tom and this week we'll be looking back at a weekend's actions of Premier League football uh, as well as the recent Champions League knockout round draw. I'm joined by Danny. How are you doing? Hello. Danny? Yeah, Hello. not too bad, you? Hello. <laughs> I'm good. I'm very good, thank you. And Tim. All right. Good. So uh, uh, it's obviously a very busy weekend of, of football and uh, some, some big derby games. So we'll probably start off with, one, in terms of the Premier League history, one, one of the biggest and that was uh, Liverpool versus Manchester United. Liverpool winning 3-1 and, and relatively comf- comfortable in the end, despite the fact that Alisson may be giving United the opportunity to get back into the game. Danny, as a United fan, you, you watched the game. Uh, how would you sum up both United's performances uh, as well as how, how impressed were you with Liverpool? I'll, I'll start off by saying I'm pretty sure uh, hell is on earth now because Liverpool are top of the Premier League and Leeds are top of the Championship. <laughs> So for a Man United fan, I'm pretty <laughs> sure this is uh, this is the start of the end of days. But it pretty much went exactly how I'd assumed it was going to go. Liverpool were dominant, like so dominant. And we were lucky to get back into it, to be honest. Alisson uncharacteristically making a mistake for Jesse Lingard to slide in. But yeah, Liverpool had 36 shots in that game. I think I think we had seven so that just shows how that game sort of rounded up. It it wasn't it wasn't good, and I don't even want to be bitter and say that Shakiri's goals were both deflected because, to be honest, that the way they played, they deserved that. So, yeah, very impressed with Liverpool and and United. Just continue to to lack any sort of motivation against against sides. 
Yeah, I think yeah, you mentioned the, the number of shots. I think I think they had twelve on target as well. So David De Gea was was relatively busy as well. Uh, Tim, did you see a, a significant golfing class between the two teams? I mean, like, well, I mean, I think the obvious thing is Manchester United just haven't been up to scratch this season. Like, ignoring how sort of good Liverpool have been, um, yeah, Manchester United is so far behind what is expected of them. Um, like, they are what sixth now. They should, you know, they're expecting to be challenging for the top spot throughout the entire season. Um, so that that's the immediate one. But again, you can't overlook how good Liverpool have actually been. And I think I mentioned this last week, but they're just such a solid all-round team now with a great keeper, a great defence, and just, you know, the attacking player that they are known for now with uh, Firmino, Salah, Romane. And then Shaqiri's not turning out to be a bad signing, is he? Um, but yeah, it's just not it's just not going well for United. And I think the difference is Liverpool look like a team and United don't. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um uh, Danny, um, how, in terms of uh, the United front, I mean, it's, it's very easy to talk about Mourinho, but maybe we, maybe it's this week we should tr- talk about the players. The players didn't look committed. They didn't look like they had the effort levels, and it didn't particularly look like they were having uh, had much of a plan. Uh, do you think you should maybe, well, maybe more of the focus should be on the players' output rather than just Mourinho's? Yeah, I think they have to shoulder some of the burden. At the end of the day, they're the ones that that go out on the pitch. But yeah, they did. They just don't look like they wanted it. I think especially at that sort of standard when you're playing a team who's unbeaten in the league, top of the league and playing the way they are. If you aren't on your game, they're going to rip you to shreds. And I think Lukaku doesn't seem to be... I don't know if it's the the style that we're playing at the moment that we're, we're not playing good football, but I don't really think I saw him in that game. Or if I did, he wasn't doing anything of note. And it was a big call to leave Pogba on the bench. He's left him on the bench now for a couple of games. I don't even think it's Mourinho's fault, though, because we saw it under Moyes and Van Gaal as well. Like, not specifically the same thing in, like, when, you know, the team only perform when they go behind. But, like, it was saying they had some, like, they had the players and still couldn't get anything out of them. I just think it's an issue with, like, United as a club, to be honest, and what goes on higher up. Uh, it's just, there's just not enough coordination, whether that's in the transfer market or not, and, like, sort of the, the attitude of the players and their relations to everyone at the club. Like, it's just it's just a bit of a mess. And I think, like, they need someone to come in at the top and just, you know, keep everyone in order. Like, Mourinho is obviously, you know, one of the biggest sort of personalities in football. And I don't think Man United have really got anyone to actually, like, you know, keep him in check and give him instructions. Um, and it, it just sort of filters down from there, I think. I think it's probably for this game, it's, it's important to look at the Liverpool aspect of things. Um Tim, uh, how unbearable will all Scousers be if Liverpool win the title? Oh, I'm genuinely going to move. Um, I won't be able to because Brexit. But like, I just don't want to live in this country if Liverpool win the title. Um, <laughs> it's going to be all over Twitter, just like because I mean, I mean to be fair, like, the one thing that everyone has Liverpool fans is that they've never won a title, uh, so that they will live. Premier League, Premier League title. They've never won a Premier League title. But um, they will just—it would just be unbearable, won't it? You'll never hear the end of it. Mm. It does feel like there's a level of unity amongst uh, the rest of the footballing population for them to not win the league. <laughs> um, one, one which has only really been matched since everyone wanted Real Madrid to beat them in the Champions League final. <laughs> that was a good evening. <laughs> yeah, I th- but yeah, I think overall uh, it, it was a, a very comfortable game. I think Alisson made the mistake which granted uh, Jesse Lingard the opportunity to score. Interestingly, he's made the same number of mistakes so far this season 
that Simon Manilay and Carius made in the whole of last season put together. Um, so maybe that's something to monitor. But he, he does also have, in my opinion, well, a fully blooded in Virgil van Dijk in front of him. So that, that, mm. that does make a difference as well. Um, going forward, though, I mean, how do you think United's next few games? I mean, uh, United have Cardiff away ne- uh, next Saturday and uh, Boxing Day at home to Huddersfield. Um, then at home to the mighty Bournemouth and then away to Newcastle. Those are four games that, under normal circumstances, you would assume United would be targeting 12 points. But is is there a risk that they maybe could fall down against some of those teams? Mourinho must be bricking it because all he's thinking is, shit, Fellaini doesn't work against those teams. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do normally. It's going to be a different sort of game. Yeah, on, on paper, that's four wins for Manchester United. But the way they're playing now... You you would see them dropping points against any of those teams. Bournemouth are in a really bad run of form, but they're going to get out of it eventually. Um, and and that game, I hope so. yeah, and that game <laughs> against you at Dean Court, United in the end just won it by that last minute, whatever that was, goal mouth scramble. But yeah, it, it should be four wins. But I wouldn't be surprised if if they drop points to. God, I don't want to say it, but it probably will be Cardiff or Huddersfield that they drop points to. I can just see them making the game super scrappy. And and the issue with United over the last few games that I've watched, we look super narrow all the time. If Ashley Young's not playing, we just run through the midfield and then get stuck and then kick the ball out, wild, out wide and then just do that again for like 90 straight minutes without doing anything. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Neil Warnock or... Um, David Wagner really strangled the game and United dropped points, to be honest. I think the issue with, like, if you go to Huddersfield or someone like that, is that they might not pose a threat until the 92nd minute. And because United generally won't have been behind, like, you probably won't, you know, you won't have scored. So it will probably be nil-nil when it gets to that point. And then they might score a 92nd minute winner, giving you no opportunity to then equalise, um, which is where I generally, I think, like, the threat would probably come from. Yeah, you'd hope... Though, with the amount of talent that United have in their squad, they'll be able to score goals against Cardiff and Huddersfield. <laughs> You'd hope. <laughs> You'd hope. That's, that's, that's the key word. It's important to not get hung up on United. Uh, the next four games for Liverpool are Wolves away, Newcastle at home, Arsenal at home, then Man City away. Tim, do you think those four games are sort of going to be the definition of their season? Obviously, big games against Arsenal and Man City. If they can get points out of those type of fixtures, can we really maybe make it a two-horse two race this season? Yeah, I probably I, that probably is like um, you know going into January. I think if if Liverpool have picked up, especially wins against Arsenal and Man City, I think that's what's going to define them winning the title or not. To be honest, um, like we saw Chelsea beat them, Man City last week. Uh, Liverpool need to be doing that, and like they did it last year. Um, except at that point, it hadn't like, it didn't matter because City had already won the title, but. Um, like it, it, they need to be beating City like all the time to be actually in with a chance of uh, of winning because of just how dominant City are against the rest of the teams uh, in the league. Like you, you never doubt City going against like yeah Newcastle, Huddersfield, and dropping points. Um, so they just need yeah they need to be able to you know beat them and it'll be a great game against City I'm sure. But uh, you know do they need to be able to score goals past them? Um, Arsenal, again, will pose a bit of a threat, but I think Liverpool are too good for their defence uh, at the moment. But um, yeah, that, that telling game will be against City. Well, something to look forward to, I guess, going into the, the new year and the busy period. 
in the uh, the Premier League. Moving on to the the next game, uh, Arsenal played Southampton, and maybe in one of the surprise results of the weekend, Southampton came away with a late win to win three two at home. Two goals from Danny Ings and a goal from Charlie Austin. Uh, obviously, this ends what has been a fantastic run for Unai Emery and his unbeaten Arsenal. Uh, is this crunch time? Are they getting relegated? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm obviously obviously joking, but um, I think it's, it's obviously been widely reported that Hassan Hussle has made quite an impact. I think there's been some players that have come out and uh, um, and, and complimented his style of play and, and his man management of the players. So Lampton immediately jump out of the relegation zone, which is important for them. Do you think the performance they put in against Arsenal is maybe a, a, a cornerstone they can put in for their season and try and push on up the table? I I think that for a manager to come in now, uh, I think it's actually quite a good shout because they've got just enough time to get results. And then with the transfer window coming up, like, you know, if, if they're doing well, they will get back. So, you know, it could be, it could, it could be a turning point for Southampton. Um, and you, they just need to keep picking up points against those sort of teams they're in direct competition with. And like a win against Arsenal is huge because it's three points and not many other teams will get. So like that'll do wonders for them. And because it's so tight down in the relegation zone at the moment uh, in the bottom of the table, like that is massive. But, you know, if if they can genuinely just benefit from uh, the new manager coming in and all like an improved attitude, it could be really, really useful for them. Like Arsenal's point of view, I don't think it matters too much. Yeah, it's a shame that that unbeaten streak actually could come to an end, but I think they'll bounce back relatively quickly. Danny, uh, I mean, obviously we have a close affiliation to Mr. Danny Ings. He scored two <laughs> headed goals, which is the first time he's ever scored two headed goals in, in in his career in a single game. It's also the first two headed goals in in the competition this season for for Southampton themselves. I mean, how important is a, is a, a goal scoring strikers like Danny Ings and Charlie Austin going to be to get Southampton out of the midst of a relegation battle? Oh, massive! And they're the type of strikers that on their day, will take the chances that come their way. Like, Charlie Austin, it was between him and Jordan Rhodes a few years ago on um, on Football Manager, who you just, you <laughs> signed them as go-to strikers. And I know that's a computer game, but Austin with his injuries and Ings as well, you feel like they, they maybe could have been something else. But no, they, they're going to be massive for both of them. And I did a bit of digging on the heading stats as well, because Charlie Austin scored a header. And that means that... Uh, all of Southampton's goals were headers, and they lasted that against Ipswich in two thousand and one. Wow. Scored three headers in a, that's, that's in a single game, which was a uh, which was quite interesting. But now, fair play to them. And and you mentioned Hazen Hootel saying that he's come in and players have said he's he's offered something different. And I think in it's either in his match day program or or in an interview he said, "We don't lose games; we win and we learn." I want to make sure the players learn from the games so it's not like a sad atmosphere and I just thought that must be such a relief because I bet Mark Hughes did (laughs) did not say that I bet Mark Hughes was all over them even when they won yeah of course and uh, on the other side of the game obviously Arsenal Mkhitaryan had had an impressive game and he's already scored more goals in his 25 matches for Arsenal than he did in in his whole time at Manchester United Uh, he he looked like a very impressive player but what do you think went wrong uh, for Arsenal in this game Tim? I don't know. Maybe, maybe head, you know, scoring headed goals is the way to go at Arsenal. Um, I, do, I just think I've said it before. Like I think if you target Arsenal's defence at the moment, it just isn't strong enough. Um, and they're playing. I mean, this defence in this match is ridiculous. So you've got Koscielny, fine. Then Xhaka and Lichtenstein are playing alongside him in a three uh, with Bellerin and um, Monreal playing at the wing backs. Like. 
that is not a solid defense. Like it's the antithesis of solid. Um, they've got one center back in a defensive three. Uh, one of them, and then one of the fill-ins being Xhaka, who's just shit um, defensively. Uh, like it's you know it's just they they're lacking pace and they're lacking defensive coordination. I think and. Um, yeah, they've got injuries. Like, Shelney is pretty much their only fit centre-back at the moment anyway. But um, I just think they really need to shore up the defence. I think they're missing Mustafi a bit. Uh, and, like, it, you can have all the talent in the world going forward, but if you're not strong enough at the back, you can lose to anyone. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, I think you're right. They did, they did. I thought they looked weak in the air as well and defensively. And um, I think that's probably been one of Arsenal's weaknesses pre, uh, pre-dated. You're not Emery. And uh, so... I think it's it's always been a problem for them, and it's, I, you'd imagine it would be something they'll try and address in January this summer. One interesting stat I saw is that Charlie Austin scored in all five of his Premier League games against Arsenal. Oh wow! Um, so he's got a hundred percent record scoring against Arsenal. And there's only one player in the Premier League who's got a better record against scoring against one club, and that's Raheem Sterling has scored six goals uh, in six games against AFC Bournemouth. So what <laughs> player of the month. Your appreciation yeah. for him is just dropped immediately. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, um, if we look at some of the other games just briefly, I mean, Chelsea got a good result against Brighton. Obviously, Hazard and whoever isn't Hazard scored for <laughs> Chelsea, which is obviously important for them. Uh, Tim, did you watch any of the games? I did, I did. Um, Hazard is just a god. He's so good, and you know, like in a in a team that coming off that win against City, where like everyone was great, we're not as strong against Brighton. But like when you've got Hazard on the pitch playing, you know where he like he's put up front so he doesn't have to track back and he gets the ball on the counter attack and just like defenses shit themselves um they are so scared of him going forward and i think like just we just need to build the team around him a bit more and i think that's what's happening now with him playing at sort of false nine um pedro looked pretty good as well and kante still performing so like it's promising i don't i definitely don't think we'll be up there with liverpool and city now but um i think you know we can definitely challenge for third spot if we keep playing at a consistent level like this. West Ham also got their uh, fourth win in a row, really looking uh, good after a poor start to the season. Uh, they they won this weekend. City edged out Everton, uh, Sterling with it, uh, after he, coming off his player of the month performance. Um, Gabriel Jesus impressed in that game and then they did they did really well and uh, Everton looks very much like a mid-table team. Uh, we'll come on to another, another the Watford game in a minute, but where the Fair financial fair play regulations couldn't stop Wolves beating Bournemouth too. <laughs> uh, the plucky cherry is unlucky to lose, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, it's not looking great for us. Six losses in seven games. But um, who cares when you can spend forty million on Ruben? Uh, Newcastle <laughs> won really away. <laughs> Newcastle won away in Huddersfield. I think that was a very significant game. Uh, Danny, I don't know if you saw any, anything about this, but that could be uh, almost a. And then in the coffin for Huddersfield because mm. it's those type of games against teams like Newcastle they do need to pick up points, especially at home as well, um, and and conceding in the manner that they did concede, just a swift counter attack, and I've never seen Solomon Rondon run as fast as that before in my life, <laughs> but he finished it off nicely and yeah, not good for for a side that last season was a bit like Cardiff making home territory count. And this season, they're just dropping a few too many points and not scoring enough goals. So, not good news for them because uh, they are pretty much... I don't want to say they're down, but it's Christmas time now. It's only going to get harder from here on in. Yep, Spurs beat Burnley. 
Uh, another really late goal by Christian Eriksen and uh, Tottenham have a habit of picking up late points this season so far they're yet to draw a game in the Premier League as Ryan points out to us earlier on this week uh, and then I put the jinx on them last week Palace did actually <laughs> beat Leicester without Wilfred Zaha <laughs> good for them two years it's been coming but maybe they can sell him so there you go but we'll go to our last game and, and that, that game was a game that Danny you were at so maybe you could give us a bit of coverage but uh, Watford versus Cardiff, and, and what a result for the Hornets it was. Bloody good game as well. <laughs> like there, there was not a bad goal until Bobby Reed made it 3-2 in like the 85th minute or whenever he scored. But such good football. Like Watford were, were really on it, bearing in mind they haven't really been in the greatest form over the last few games. But they played so well and, and some stunning goals. I, if you get a chance to watch some of the highlights, I don't know if you have, all of the Watford goals were brilliant. And then even Cardiff's first goal was stunning. Like, just not a bad goal in that game. Yeah, I mean, you've watched a lot of Watford so far this season, Danny. And uh, do you think maybe they don't get enough credit? Or as much, I mean, I, I, I follow a, a large number of Watford fans on Twitter and I think they, they get a bit fed up with how teams like Bournemouth get a bit more coverage because of Eddie Howe and being a young English manager. Do you think maybe they deserve a bit more credit for how they're performing so far this season. Yeah, I think Javi Grass has got them playing a really good style of football. And and like I said before, even though they hadn't had the best of results in the last few games, they still played the same way. And I think that's the mark of a good team, a team that doesn't want to shift as soon as they, they start losing a few games on the bounce. He's, he's kept the same style. And some of the passing play like is unbelievable. Like Domingos Kina's goal, was so good, but the build-up to it was fantastic. Like, little one-twos all over the pitch, and then just an easy layoff to him, and then a, he pings it in the top corner. And, and it's not the first time they did it in that game, and not the first time they've done it this season. And they scored a really good goal against Huddersfield, um, I think it was in November. From It was, like, the best set piece I think I've seen in a long time. Like, just whipped it to the back post, then knocked across goal, and then an easy tap-in. And they play some really good football, but I'm not sure who put it on the running order, but players like Delafeu, when he's good, he's so good. When he's off the boil, he he can be a little bit um, he can be a little bit off it. But no, it's the same for for when they're on it, they're they're a very very difficult team to beat. Yeah, that was my question. Do you think Delafeu is like the most sort of up and down Premier League player at the moment? Um, because like you said, like when he's good, he is like match winning. Like you saw his goal in that match, like when he dribbled between three players, did a flip flap and then just passed it under the keeper it was just like stunning dribbling. Like that's the product of him coming out of Barcelona. But when, you know, when he's poor, he's just sort of, he's just useless. Like, do you think he genuinely is sort of the most like polarized sort of performance player? Uh, one of them. It, it's kind of difficult because I, I don't really have any of the stats in front of me to to see other players, but he, yeah, he's up there with one of those players that on his day is, is really good. And, and we've seen it in spells at Everton when he was on loan, didn't see it as much for Barcelona, but we've seen it at Watford as well. And, and of what I've seen of him so far this season, he's, he's been really good. I've fortunately not been at the matches where he's played badly. So I can't, <laughs> I can't call that. Tom, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think he's very impressive. I agree. I mean, he's, he's got that ability to, to take on players and, and be very technically he's he's very very gifted I, I think he, he he isn't good enough in my opinion to be take that next step up but I think he he definitely has the capacity to be a very good player for 
a mid-table team such as Watford. So I think they'll be keen to get hold of him, uh, keep hold of him. And uh, yeah, in the same way Richarlison was very impressive at the beginning of last season, I think Delaferre has been very, very good this season so far as well. Uh, what did you think of Troy Deeney trying to kill Neil Etheridge? <laughs> I mean, there was the, t- the two-footed challenge on him, which... Um, I think garnered him a yellow card. I, I didn't. I didn't see see the whole of the the, the full highlights. But do you do you think that that is just something that's not accepted in terms of keepers have to be a bit more physical? I mean, Neil, Neil Etheridge is a bit of a specimen. So fair enough to him. But, uh, do you think maybe that that side of uh, football is a bit more accepted in Premier League? What you maybe associated with previously the football the football leagues anyway? Yeah. It, in defence to Troy Deeney, it was raining so much and he started his slide from outside the area and then just kept going. Hit Neil Edwards, who then instantly got up to defend the next ball and then when realising that the, free, the referee had given a free kick, went down again. So, <laughs> yeah. so I thought, that's a little bit... Yeah, but I think that's part, part of the rough and tumble of the, of the Premier League. Like, I think we said it before that the Championship is such a physical league and and when you look at like other second divisions of other countries around Europe, their second league, I don't think, is as strong as the championship. And I think now with teams like Cardiff, Huddersfield, Watford, to some extent, playing that more physical game, it's, it's just how it is now. And I think sometimes, yeah, it doesn't give you free license to absolutely clatter the goalkeeper. But if you're going in for the ball and, and that's all you're going for, then I think it's fair game. Don't know about you, but I think it's fair game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think it's great. I think it's important to 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 not be too many too many fancy dans around the Premier League. So that's fine with me. So let's move on to the Champions League draw. Um, I'll quickly read them out. We've got Schalke versus Man City, Atletico Madrid versus Juventus, Manchester United versus Paris Saint Germain, uh, the the battle of the ship versus the farmers, uh, Tottenham <laughs> versus Dortmund, Lyon versus Barcelona, Roma versus Porto, Ajax versus Real Madrid, and Liverpool versus Bayern Munich. I mean, Tim. In terms of any standout fixtures, what, what jumps out to you? Uh, I'm looking forward to Tottenham Dortmund because I think that'll be a really good match. Dortmund have been playing really well. Uh, and I think uh, Tottenham will be full of fire having just gone through their group on the last match day. So I'm, I am really looking forward to that one. There's no like massive games. I think the biggest one there is Liverpool-Bayern um, with the sort of biggest teams like that are close to each other. So that'll be quite interesting. Um, Bayern obviously had a very slow start to the season uh, and are finding their form again. So I'd say that'd be interesting. And then I don't, I have no idea what will happen with United versus the Farmers. Um, <laughs> I know what will happen. United, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it'll be very interesting. But um, there are some there are some good matchups there. Like it should be a lot of exciting football. Yeah, pick pick up on the Dortmund one. I mean, Spurs played Dortmund. I think it's a couple of seasons ago and got a result against them. But I think this is a very different Dortmund side. Uh, they look a lot more organised and, and they're performing very very well in the Bundesliga. Uh, uh, Danny, I think it'll be interesting to see Jaden Sancho being back in England as well and see how he's uh, viewed in. He's been so electric in that side this season, and we've only had brief glimpses of him in the England squad. So it'd be interesting to see to see him play. But Danny, who, who, obviously PSG's you, your opponent. Uh, are you looking forward to any other games or, or, or is your main focus that Paris match? Uh, looking forward to the other games more so than looking forward to, to <laughs> Man United PSG, to be honest. But uh, it's, it's Europe, as cliche as it sounds. Mourinho is, is very good at just killing games. I, I think Paris Saint-Germain will absolutely steamroll Manchester United. But if anyone's going to get a result out of it, it'll be a, a Mourinho shithousery win somehow. Um, 
Fellaini. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm looking forward to the comparatively small tie of Atletico Madrid versus Juventus that, uh, that Tim didn't pick out as a big game. Two, no. <laughs> two, two finalists in recent years. That would be, that'd be, a, that'd be a good game, I think. Atletico Madrid are so organised and Simeone's got them playing such a good sort of compact style of football to come up against the Juventus side who, as Tim mentioned, are just like free-flowing. Like They play such good football but aren't really tested as much in Serie A. I think that would be a really good uh, proper, a proper Champions League battle. Uh, if, we, if, we, if you both had to be, uh, back an upset in the group stage, uh, would either of you uh, fancy putting your names against uh, any of the ties? Yeah. Uh... I'm gonna go Porto to beat Roma. Porto have been really good, uh, like underratedly good in the Champions League this season, and and Roma bottled a lot of chances against Real Madrid, and and they're a decent side. But I I don't know why I think Porto can can maybe sneak one on them. Danny yeah, chooses the uh, the tie that absolutely no one gives a fuck about. <laughs> so Tim, which one are you gonna which one are you gonna go for? I mean, I'm not sure I can call Liverpool against Bayern an upset. Like, because I think they're probably, you know, Liverpool are leading the Premier League, so I don't think that's quite fair. So I'll go with um, Ajax giving Real Madrid a, a challenge. Oh, fair. I think I think you know we've seen Real Madrid shaky, and they are they are improving, but like they've been trying out a lot of youngsters recently. I think they've got a couple of injuries as well, and if they're not on it, I think Ajax give them a push. I know. Just out of interest, who would you be backing in the Liverpool Bayern match? I presume Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah. Okay. Tom, yeah. you're gonna yeah. you're gonna stick your neck on the line. We're not gonna just do it and get get all the ridicule. Uh, I think hmm, I'd be interested. I I don't I don't I'm not convinced they'll win. If I had to put my I wouldn't put money on it. But Leon played very very well in the group stages against Man City, mm. um, and maybe they could push Barcelona a bit more than you you would expect the team to at this stage in the competition. Uh, so maybe I'd go for a slight upset in that in that area. Uh, Maybe Leon win one of the legs or at least put some pressure on Barcelona. Fair. I like that. Quickly going over to the, the uh, who gives a fuck competition. Uh, the Europa League draw was also done today. <laughs> uh, Chelsea got Malmo. Celtic got a tough tie against uh, Man United's, uh, well, Man United's former opposition, Valencia. And Bate Borisov will be playing Arsenal. All of these teams, I feel, have already played Chelsea and Arsenal this season. <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, I don't watch the Europa League, but it just feels like you play the same teams every week. Yeah, um, they're all they're all sort of amalgamations of the same team. Like they all sound the same. My question to you is: How shit is the second Europa League competition going to be oh. when you 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 wait for release? That? I mean, wow, they're going to have to scrape the barrel with some of these European leagues. Oh God. It'll be, it'll be that, that Metropolitan Police team. <laughs> just challenging for it and then arresting. If they, uh, if they lose, they just arrest the opposition. OK, uh, so we're now going to go over to Tim, uh, who's going to bring a new feature to the podcast. Yes, yeah, so it's the new... It's, you know, we're coming up to the new year. I thought we'd introduce a new sort of a new feature, uh, being the team of the millennium, as I've called it. So uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to, every podcast, choose players to go in the team of the millennium. So it's the best players from uh, since 2000, whether it's based on, uh, so based on different things. So like how good they were in the prime and how sort of good they've been over uh, their career. So like uh, if someone was on top of the world for two years, uh, but then didn't have a great career, they might not be as, you know, they might not beat someone into the team that was uh, good over their 20 year career. So uh, we're starting off with a goalkeeper this week and then we'll move on to the rest of the positions. Uh, we're doing 4-4-2 as well because it makes it a little bit more interesting. 
even though it's a dead formation. Um, so I'll go to Danny first. Who do you think is the best goalkeeper to have played since 2000? I was always going to choose Gianluigi Buffon. Like, I knew you like were. Like I was going to choose any other goalkeeper. I'm, I mean, <laughs> it, it, was, it was always going to be Buffon for me. Why? What, what's made his, his career so special? Not winning a Champions League. No, um, just, <laughs> just, he's just been consistent. Like, how, how many goalkeepers do you know in the modern era have been number one goalkeeper from pretty much start to finish? Like, he dominated at Parma when he was younger, was, what, the most expensive goalkeeper for, like, 15 years. I, I don't think there's any better goalkeeper over that period of time than than the Italian number one. But we'll see. Tom, what do you think? So, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, I, I think it... I, yeah, I was looking at Arke Casillas. Mm. Um, won the Champions League days after his 19th birthday with Real Madrid. Um, won a World Cup, two European tra- uh, European Championships with, uh, with with Spain and was was always a key feature of that Real Madrid team. Um, the only thing with him is I think his... his Decline has been quite rapid uh, when he moved to moved away from Real Madrid, but I agree with Danny. I think Buffon's the best keeper. I think e- even at PSG now, he's still probably one of the best keepers in the world. I think his abilities. I mean, he's he makes ridiculous saves. His distribution is very good. He's a big keeper, confident, strong. He puts that sort of mindset into the defenders in fr- in front of him uh to to be confident with him behind him and obviously was a key feature in their 2006 world cup win as well so all time italian top cap, uh, most number of caps yeah he is he's if there's any keeper that you'd want to buy i mean i think maybe donnarumma has that potential to be similar to him at the moment but if there's any keeper you would want to sign at 18 years old and think i'm going to get 20 years out of this guy and more it's January, January luigi buffon i think he's been the best since the year 2000 this is bloody yeah. music to my ears <laughs> my pick was probably going to be Casillas because of his success and uh, like he's all, he's not the tallest ever I think just his ability in goal was superb <laughs> I'll throw another few names into the hat so first of all Manuel Neuer it revolutionised goalkeeping in a sense uh, when he first came to Bayern and like you know he was the top goalkeeper in the world over Buffon for a considerable period of time with the way he played and just sort of vitalizing that sweeper keeper role, do you think he has a shout? Uh, yeah, no, honestly, <laughs> but, yeah, he's a really good goalkeeper. What one of the one of the best goalkeepers out there? Did he revolutionize goalkeeping? No, not really. Uh, the sweeper keeper thing was a thing way before Manuel Neuer. He just had the balls to kind of do it now. He's a he's a very good goalkeeper. Don't get me wrong. And uh, yeah, he's he's been up there for the Ballon d'Or and arguably probably could have won it one of the years. But I still think for longevity wise, Buffon's been absolutely dominant. I don't know what you think, Tom. Yeah, I think there's a couple of others better than Buffon as well. I think Van der um, sorry, not better than Buffon, better than Neuer. I think Van der Sar, I, th- I think, was an incredible goalkeeper and. You look at how he he was at Juventus, then he moved to Fulham, then he, then he was at Man United, and, and was fantastic for Manchester United for such a long time. I think he's probably better than Neuer. I think that's probably because of longevity. I feel like there's there's probably been a slight decline in Neuer 
Um, I, I think in terms of revolutionary goalkeepers, in terms of impact in the Premier League in the 2000s, Petr Cech, when he joined mm. Chelsea and, and pr- predominantly before his head injury, he was a brick wall at Chelsea and he was just f- fantastic. And I think he, he, he maybe got, he, he had a slight decline after he fractured his skull, which you would expect with any footballer. But uh, his bravery and things like that after coming out and being a leader of that Czech team for such a long time as well, I think it's, He's he's probably top five for me as well. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good shouts there. I think we'll we'll, we'll go with Buffon because I think you're right. The thing the longevity he's had in his career is a defining factor that I don't think anyone else has had because um, he's still going at what 38, 40. Uh, he's forty, bloody forty. If I can do anything at forty years old, <laughs> relatively athletic, I will be happy. Yeah, I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll put Buffon in the team then, despite his uh, his lack of a Champions League. Um, cool. But yeah, so Buffon goes in as the first, the first player in the team of the millennium. I think to a, a fairly uh, agreeable decision. Um, so next episode we'll be looking at the centre backs. So Danny and Tom, get your your centre back choices ready. Um, there's a lot to choose from. It's a it's quite a difficult pick. Uh, so both centre backs to go in next episode. The the only issue that I have now is all of my picks are going to be Italian. <laughs> well. <laughs> He's going to go Chiellini and Maldini. There is, there is no better defence than Italy. I cannot <laughs> pick any other defence, but I'll try and find another team. It's spelled C-O-O-K. Steve, Steve Cook. <laughs> I, ju- I just transferred Steve Cook into my fantasy team, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move on to talking points. Uh, Tim, why don't you start us off with uh, something that you picked up this week? Well, I thought I'd just mention beforehand uh, Sports Personality of the Year. Uh, I, I mean, I don't really care that much. I don't think anyone does. But um, Harry Kane looking incredibly fed up when he walked up to collect his third place trophy. <laughs> um, and Gareth Southgate winning Coach of the Year, which I think is deserved. Like, it's a pretty good feat to get into a World Cup semi-final. Um, so kudos to them. But my, 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 I've got... I found two that are just absolute hilarious. Um, so... There's 10 minutes to go in Plymouth Argyle versus Rochdale. Um, they, it's, it, they're, they're level level playing field. And the Rochdale's keeper, uh, Josh Lillis, gets a back pass uh, that is genuinely like sort of bobbling along the floor. And I don't know what he was doing. Like he must have had his phone out like playing Angry Birds or something because he tries to, he sort of looks up, tries to kick the ball, misses it. And it just rolls into the goal really slowly. And he just sort of stands there not realising what's gone on. And it's the <laughs> worst. Like, it's not even it's not even him that goes down for the own goal. It's a defender that passed it to him. It's so bad. It's oh, it's just the most funny thing. I think it's on... Um, I, can't, I don't know. I'll, I will put it on our Twitter later. Um, and then the other one, which is possibly even worse, uh, is sort of the worst goal mouth scramble or the best goal mouth scramble you will ever see. Um, so it's in a match between Dulwich Hamlet and Wingate and Finchley. I've never heard of either of those teams. <laughs> it's the FA Trophy first round fixture and there's a, you're like oh, everyone in the box for a corner keeper saves it and then there's a subsequent six shots on goal with just players diving in front of the ball, the keeper sort of like doing that imaginary thing on FIFA when sort of the ball is rolling at one mile an hour and they just sort of dive around the place. <laughs> just it's just a mess, and it's so funny. 
and there's literally about seven different saves or blocks off the line. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolute shout out to the number two defender. I'm not sure who he was, but he, he saved like four and then one with his head when he like dived in <laughs> right at the end. I thought absolutely top notch. Uh, I'll put both of those on our Twitter later. Danny, how about you? Uh, so I'll be honest, when I was writing up the running order, I hadn't had lunch yet. So I was, I was, quite, hung- <laughs> I was quite hungry. And then I stumbled across uh, Borussia Dortmund's uh, Twitter account saying that they can, uh, they'll sell you at the, uh, at the stadium uh, bratwurst in a bun and a pint of beer for seven euros. So I thought, bl- bloody hell, that's really good. I, I don't remember the last time... I got something that cheap and that filling at a football match. So I decided to do a bit of research on it. So, <laughs> um, excuse me for having research a year out of date because they haven't uh, quite updated it. But essentially, you can buy... I, I've tried to go with what the equivalent at a football match in England would be to bratwurst and a pint. So I've, I've, gone, for, I've gone for pie and a pint. Is, is, that like a, is that a fair, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair yeah. judgment? So, yeah, that's fair. The most expensive um, Premier League pie that you can buy. Do you want to hazard a guess where it is? Chelsea. Yes, it is Chelsea. Yeah, wow. <laughs> my, my little hazard pun in there. £4.80 for a pie. Jeez. Uh, do you know where the cheapest Jeez. is? Uh, Huddersfield? Uh, correct answer. £3.20. Get in there. £3.20. You want to make that a meal deal. So that's a pie. And it's not actually a pint of beer either. With this research, it's 400 mil bottle. The most expensive is Manchester United. Seven, seven quid. What? So Seven quid. So if you actually wanted to make that a pint, as you'd get in Germany, that would take the price up to like £9. <laughs> At United, so so that's there, and, and Bournemouth are the cheapest at three pound fifty. More times, I would also like to say that I worked at Bournemouth when we used to sell pints, and it used to be three pounds. So look what <laughs> the Premier League's done to us now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to confirm that the, 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 the we probably still have the same beer in stock at the, at the Bournemouth Stadium because <laughs> the the stock rotation was very limited. <laughs> Oh, that is wonderful. But yeah, that's my um, that's my food antics for the week. Go to Germany if you want some good football food. Uh, and uh, we'll end we'll end on this one then. So there's some good good Sol Campbell based news. Macclesfield <laughs> Town uh, got their first win of the season against bottom of the table Crawley. Uh, they, they won two 0 in what was was described as a drubbing by Sol, uh, and they push on. Uh, with with their attempts to to really crack on this season, uh, I think they'll 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 really look at putting together a good run of form uh, behind their <laughs> their masterful manager, uh, Mr. Campbell. But no, no, sorry, I lie, I lie, I'm I'm completely wrong. Macclesfield Town were bottom, <laughs> and they beat <laughs> Crawley Town, who was 16th. Uh, so it's a big win for them, uh, and they look to close the gap on Cambridge United. Outside the relegation zone, now four points behind them. So, so the the soul train continues <laughs> to uh, tear through Macclesfield. Uh, yeah. That's my favourite feature: the soul train. 
That's the worst pun I've ever heard in my life. I would like to. I'd like to testify to this now. I didn't realise I'd made that pun until I <laughs> said that sentence. <laughs> but anyway, we'll we'll leave it there. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you both for joining me, Tim. Cheers. And Danny. Cheers, mate. Thanks for that, lads. And uh, we'll have a Premier League preview for the uh, the festive games coming up later this week. Uh, hopefully, Alan or maybe Ryan can join us for that. But uh, if we don't speak to you before, have a good Christmas. And uh, yeah, thanks, lads. Happy Bye. Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>